<clears throat> At this time of Advent, we celebrate Jesus' coming. Uh, but even in our Christmas play, we're talking about how there's a cross and a cradle, how Jesus was born with a purpose to live and to die. <clears throat> and uh, Advent is also the anticipation of Jesus' second coming in glory. And a lot of people have a lot of misunderstandings about what's going to happen when Jesus comes again. I'd like to share a story with you. Uh, one of the last times that Laura and I visited San Antonio was a, uh, our traditional Christmas trip to go down to the Riverwalk, wander around, see the Christmas lights, look at some of the shops, good stuff like that. And as we were walking around near the Alamo, where this uh, big, giant, 30-foot Christmas tree was, uh, we, we heard some guy yelling. And we were wondering, what, what's going on here? And as we got closer, we heard words like uh, sin and repent. And as we got even closer, we heard the words, uh, you have to believe because the end is near. And uh, perhaps you've experienced a similar occurrence. Have you ever been to a major, maybe a major sporting event or a crowded street where there's a guy out there with a bullhorn and a soapbox and a Bible ranting and raving? Now, well, we call him bullhorn guy. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know if you have experienced something like that, and I gotta tell you, I don't agree with that guy's methods of trying to, to guilt or scare people into believing, but he does have one thing right. The end is near. <clears throat> In Revelation 22, the last chapter of the Bible, Jesus says three times, behold, I'm coming soon. And Dr. Kolb has probably mentioned this before, but when the Bible says something three times close to each other, it means that the thing that's repeated is pretty important. For some people, the fact that Jesus is coming again soon can bring up an uneasy feeling. People start wondering, what do I need to change about what I've been doing lately? Uh, <clears throat> but for those of us who have salvation from God, we don't have to be nervous or apprehensive about the second coming. In fact, the second coming is something that we can look forward to as a time when we'll be reunited with believers who've gone on before us and finally be reunited in the presence of God in heaven. <clears throat> in fact, Jesus tells us uh, that we can hurry his coming, too, his coming along too. In the verse that Matt just read, Matthew 24, 14, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. So as soon as the gospel is proclaimed to everyone in the world, Jesus will come again. There's a few notable words that I want to talk about in this passage. I'm sorry. <clears throat> the first word is a Greek word. The Greek word for uh, proclaim. The Greek word is uh, keruso. Say it with me. Keruso. Oh, y'all can do better than that. Keruso. Yeah. So the word keruso means proclaim, but it can also be the word for herald. You know, like the king's court and the, he heralded a decree. A decree. <clears throat> the only things that are heralded are important decrees or messages of extreme importance. So what this particular word is getting at is that the gospel message has a, a particular weightiness or, or heaviness of importance to it. The next word that's a big deal that we should talk about is the word testimony in Greek. And this word is marturion. You'll say it with me. Marturion. Yeah. This word carries the significance of pertaining to salvation. So in other words, 
this gospel message it has a heaviness or a weightiness of importance with it. And it's a big deal because it could lead to the salvation of somebody that we share the gospel with. This message is so important because it could make the difference between uh, somebody spending eternity in either heaven or hell. Uh, Penn Jillette of Penn and Teller, the comedic illusionist, has several video blogs available on the internet. Uh, in fact, in looking at uh, his bio, bio on the, uh, the internet, Penn is a really interesting guy. Uh, he's an atheist and a philosopher and has written all sorts of different things. <clears throat> but in this particular video blog, he talks about his experience with a Christian who witnessed to him after a show one day. Uh, Penn was touched by this experience enough to blog about it, and in his video he brings up an analogy about a truck. Uh, he says that if he believed that a truck was bearing down on someone who didn't believe the trucks exist, and that truck is just getting closer and closer and bearing down, and that person still doesn't believe that trucks exist, there's a certain point where he would jump out and tackle the person out of the way of that oncoming danger. Penn goes on to say that if someone believes that another person could receive eternal life or not go to hell as the result of believing, then, and I quote here, how much do you have to hate somebody not to witness to them? It's pretty weighty. And you see, this is really a very negative way of looking at witnessing. You see, as, as Christians, <clears throat> well, I'd like to put a positive spin on what Penn says. As Christians, you and I are called to love people. And I think the most loving thing that we could possibly do is tell someone <clears throat> about Jesus. You see, love is really the answer. Because love connects people to God. <clears throat> you and I have this gift of salvation from God that could make an eternity of difference to the people that God has placed around us in our lives. He's given us the opportunity to share in this incredible gift by connecting people to God. You know, according to the Bible, you and I were created to do good works. <clears throat> and the best possible work I can think of is connecting people to their loving Savior. Jesus himself, in his last words to us on earth, said, Go and make disciples of all nations. You could say it's what we were created to do. And when the things God created do what they were created to do, it's good. So this leaves us with an important question to answer. How will you love people into the kingdom? And I've determined just a, a handful of practical steps that we can use to lovingly bring people into the kingdom. The first is this. Live your life in such a way that people want to have what you have. I'm sorry, I'm kind, of, I'm kind of froggy right now, so I'm going to repeat that. Live your life in such a way that people want to have what you have. In that Penn Says video I mentioned earlier, Penn repeatedly goes back to the character of that man who was witnessing to him. He says over and over again that this man was a good, insane man, and that the world needs more people like him in it. Now, Penn also says that one man living his life the right way isn't going to change the fact that he's an atheist. But imagine if Penn encountered even more Christian people lovingly telling other people about Jesus. <clears throat> Perhaps his perspective would be changed. To bring it back to a familiar phrase by now, when the things God created do what they were created to do, it's good. And people notice and want to have what you have. 
Now, I should probably clarify something here. <clears throat> the first step seems to put a lot of pressure on us to live the right way, uh, or else someone else might not be saved. And, and I'd like to put uh, a positive spin on that, too. That first step was live your life in such a way that people want to have what you have. <clears throat> um, have you ever noticed, this is my positive spin, have you ever noticed how somebody who's smiling and cheerful just like draws people to them? It's, it's like their joy is somehow contagious and spreads to the people around them. Everybody wants to be around the center of the party. <clears throat> well, you know, witnessing is kind of like that. When we have this joy that comes from inside, people are automatically drawn to us. And the joy I'm talking about isn't, isn't the, the conditional joy, the temporary joy that we sometimes encounter. Uh, like, say, if we were to get a big Christmas bonus, or we pull into the mall to do our Christmas shopping, and we get the very front spot right at the door. <clears throat> well, that's obviously very conditional. The next time we go to the mall, the closest spot could be a mile from the doors. And the next time the bills come in, that whole Christmas bonus and more could be gone before, even, before we even think about what Santa's going to bring us. <clears throat> you see, the joy that I'm talking about isn't really in those temporary things. True joy can only be found in the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. Because he loves us no matter uh, what we've done, because of his unconditional love in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we can have joy in all situations. So the question is, how are you living your life right now? Could someone take a look at yours and my life and know that we have something special, that we have a joy that defies explanation? Who knows? Maybe you'll have the chance to share that joy with someone. The next step is love people. And it sounds ridiculously simple, but it's so profound. Everyone has a craving for love in this world. And when people find someone who loves them unconditionally, like Jesus does, they take notice. <clears throat> when I attended uh, San Antonio College for some dual credit stuff in high school, I met some of the most interesting people I've ever known. Well, one of them was a fellow student in my sociology class named Ahim. And Ahim was a recent immigrant to the United States from Morocco. <clears throat> and over the course of the class we had together, we became friends and would carry on conversations to and from class. And over the course of that friendship, I had the chance to share with him the good news about Jesus. And I'm not really sure whatever happened to that seed of faith that was planted through our friendship, but I do know one thing. I wouldn't have had the chance to share the good news with Ahim if that friendship hadn't been built. <clears throat> There's a phrase that one of my, mine and Laura's college professors used multiple times. And it actually helps explain why loving people is such a big deal. He says it this way. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. See, it doesn't matter to people that we could connect them with a loving savior until they see how much we truly care about them. Building relationships with people we encounter on a daily basis opens incredible opportunities for sharing our faith. When we start loving the people around us, they'll be more open to hearing what we have to say about Jesus. The final step is this. When the opportunity presents itself, and it will if we're following the first two steps, have an answer ready. 
to what 1 Peter 3.15 says. Being able to lovingly articulate your faith doesn't require a degree in theology or that you be a pastor or a DCE or a church worker. All it requires is telling people that the reason why you live your life the way you do is because you follow Jesus, because he loves you. In fact, you don't even need to have all the answers because no one has all the answers. And people honestly respect it a whole lot more if we're honest with ourselves and say, you know, I really don't know about that, but I'm going to try to find out. Now, here's the other thing about witnessing to people. <clears throat> Just like with my friend Ahim, we may not see the results of our efforts in this world, but who knows when that seed of faith may start sprouting. You see, well, who knows that even Penn Gillette may even come to faith one day because of the witness of that man after his show, combined with the positive witness of other Christian people lovingly telling other people about Jesus. <clears throat> How cool would it be to meet that person in heaven one day that you shared your faith with and have them come up to you and say, I'm so glad that you talked with me about Jesus. I hope to one day see my friend Ahim and tell him, hey man, I'm, I'm really glad you made it. I have one final practical example to close with. <clears throat> How many of us came to church this morning with cars that had empty seats available in them? Uh, I did. <laughs> in fact, when Laura and I come to church, we've got three empty seats available in the back. <clears throat> How cool would it be if all those seats in our cars were filled with people with whom we've been sharing the gospel, who want to deepen their relationship with God by coming to church? Do you think our cars could be full? Do you think maybe this whole church could be full with people? <clears throat> and you know, this is just one example that popped into Laura's and mine head over lunch one day. You see, you have access to a whole other set of relationships and resources that, with people that Laura or Pastor or I might not be able to reach. So the question is, what are some ways that you can reach the people that you encounter in a daily basis at, at work, in your neighborhood, at home? How can you touch someone with the love of God? Live your life in such a way that people want to have what you have. Love people. And when the opportunity presents itself, have an answer ready. Because the end is near. How will you love people into the kingdom? Amen.
I would hope all of us might just think about taking up Mark's challenge to, you know, pack the place. Consider how many empty spots you've got. And just because, you know, I normally walk over here doesn't mean um, that that excuses me. But maybe find some extra people that could fill those empty seats and really pack the place. Well, we want to respond to God's word. We're going to use an affirmation of faith. It's printed for you on page four. It's also up on the screen. Let's stand for this affirmation of faith. We have heard how the events of Jesus' first coming foretold the events of his second coming. How shall we respond? Our attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. He took the humble position of a slave and appeared in human form. And in human form, he obediently humbled himself even further by dying a criminal's death on the cross. Because of this, God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. Please be seated. We gather our tithes and offerings this morning. Please be reminded we've got a Christmas program practice immediately following. There is also a uh, an opportunity for parents or grandparents or whatever to be down in the fellowship hall during that time. Uh, I know there's a whole host of family and holiday activities down there for you. Uh, a couple of other kind of neat things that are coming up. I want to just put a little plug in for something. I know I enjoyed the first one. Uh, but the Sanders family Christmas is coming up, and, you know, one of our very own, Corinne Book, is in that. And I know she did such a wonderful job, the, the last one. I just thought she was going to do an even better job. It just, uh, it's really kind of a great way to also kind of prepare uh, your hearts for Christmas. As we gather our tithes and offerings, let's pray, and then we'll sing. Great and gracious Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise. We know that... Uh, you are coming back again, and we pray that we will work feverishly at loving people in your kingdom. Pray that we, we think about what we've heard this morning, that we have this wonderful opportunity to proclaim or to preach or give this testimony to all nations to help bring about the end. Pray that we'd also consider to think about those extra seats in our cars, the seats that are next to us and lovingly invite people to come and hear the good news of Jesus Christ because we know this little baby will change their life even as it's changed ours. Now bless the gathering of our tithes and offerings, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And as we gather them, we also say.
pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy, for by your death and resurrection we may anticipate your return and not live in fear of it. Your holy word in which you speak to us, the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives for bringing us to faith and holding us in faith. We humbly ask for strength to preserve in this life as your light and the salt of the earth until you come. You to pour out your healing on those who are sick, to give hope to the hopeless, comfort to those who mourn, and empower us to be bold in our witness in our daily lives, to live as your people, that others might see in us a reflection of you, Hold fast in faith until your return. We pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Dear friends, as we prepare to celebrate